Welcome to another episode of Culture Score. I'm BT and this is Marcus. What's up, everybody? We got a very special guest for you today, Minji Chang. What's up, Minji? Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. Privilege, Minji. Thanks for blessing us with your presence. Culture Score is a podcast at the intersection of Black culture and popular culture. We review film and TV and focus on the influence of culture and storytelling, um, people, places, and the cinematic choices of what you see on screen. Our focus today, however, is on the violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, what other people call AAPI, but we don't on this show. Um, but we're going to have a very deep conversation, a very deep and vulnerable conversation today. And, you know, we all have trauma and yours is never bigger or more profound than anybody else's. So part of what we're doing today, um, you know, the longer we listen to one another with real attention, the more commonality we'll find in all of our lives. That is, if we're careful enough to exchange with one another life stories and not simply opinions. So that's a quote, by the way. I kind of just put it in there. It's a quote by Barbara Deming, but it, it really embraces what we're going to be doing today. Our guest today, Minji Chang, um, who you just give you a shout out, is a Korean-American actor, producer, and podcaster extraordinaire. Um, she's a host and a producer of a podcast, which is called First of All, and you can find it just about everywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. She's very accomplished and very multifaceted. You know, we'll be giving you her social media handle and a website at the end. But if you want to know what she's done, she's pretty much worked with all the major studios from Disney um, to Netflix and the Fortune 100 companies in some form or fashion and interviewed a very impressive list of guests. So first of all, her podcast, you can see all the folks that she's talked to and listen to the incredible work that she's done. She's an all around powerful voice on social, cultural and entertainment matters. And like I said, you know, this episode is different from our typical episodes. You know, we, we had a conversation and we agreed this is what we should do. And you know, we feel like it's right to do it. We feel like it ties into the, the spirit of what this podcast is about. And with that said, you know, I'm going to let Marcus kind of take, you know, take us off on this listening and learning and conversation that, you know, you're going to enjoy from us today. Marcus, take it away. Uh, I appreciate that, BT. Um, I think you said it really well. Um, typically, this is a show where it's lighthearted, but we try to hit hit you with um, some things that's really going on in the culture. And uh, I think some episodes in the past, pop culture has taken a precedent, sometimes over the the culture, the black culture, and we kind of just show how they're intertwined. This is an episode where we're not reviewing a film. Um, we will talk about some things that you see on the screen. But this is about allyship. This is about commonality. Um, this is about not focusing on the tragedy porn of it all. And what I mean by that is so often in our society here in America, we get so caught up with who has it worse, who did it first, all these types of things. And there's validity to all of those things. And there's a time and a place for everything. Um, today, uh, we're recording this, this show today with just, you know, it's, for me, it's a heavy heart. You know, today the verdict came out for uh, George Floyd. And for me, I feel like there's sometimes defeat even in victory. 
Um, I'm happy about the results of the case, but I'm still really saddened that a man isn't going home to his wife or his kids or his family. And for all the people who had to sit on that sidewalk and see what was happening, that, that stuck with them for the rest of their lives. And, and, and your, your innocence and your purity or whatever is now taken away from you. And as a black person who is constantly scared to almost even watch the news because I know how upsetting it can be, our Asian brother and sisters have been going through the same thing specifically in the last year, like just, just the numbers are just astronomical what has been going on. And it's not like it just started within the last year. Let me be very, very clear in my statement and stating that. And I just feel like there's been such a divide between our two communities, but there's so many things that we share in common and the hurt and the pain and the misunderstanding is, is at the forefront. And so we wanted to bring Minji in here, and I, I want to set the floor for Minji before we get kind of started. It's important that I say this to you as well. This is not an individual who is only fighting for the justices of the Asian community. I don't want to put her on the spot, but this is somebody who has fought for all people to be treated fairly. I, she has been to marches, and I'll even go as far to say she's participated in more marches than I have. So don't be so quick to judge someone by the color of their skin, by their sexual orientation. We need to be better than that. And I want to just say that the person that's on this show today, Minji Chang, she's on here because she is an ally, because she is an advocate. She's a thought-provoking individual who is going to bless us with a lot of different perspectives. I just ask that our listeners keep an open mind and an open heart. And if you do not live in a, in a location or an area that has a, a, a large African-American or a large, large Asian-American population, and all you get is what you see in the news or you see online, I just ask that you put aside that rhetoric that you may think you know. And if you can walk away from this podcast and having learned or be enlightened by one thing, then we'll take it as a victory. So having said all of that, one more time, I want to welcome our, our guest and our friend, Minji Chang. Uh, say hello to everybody, Minji. Hi, everyone. And thank you both, BT and Marcus. I, I feel so humbled and um, warmly welcomed and in a very crazy day. A lot of feelings going on inside of me, too. I'm just, I'm a little nervous, but I'm really excited and, and just honored, truly. So just jumping right into it. Minji, I think one of the things that you hear very often, like when, you know, there's racism and hate and discrimination and violence, right, is, you know, how can I help? You know, how can I be an ally? I don't really understand what you're going through and all that stuff. And so really to, to set it off, I, I think the, I don't want to call it the best thing, but one of the ways to set up this conversation that I think you can really explain the impact of what anti-Asian violence means to you personally. How have you been impacted? You know, and for, for somebody that says they cannot relate to it or understand it, just codify it for them in a way that makes them see how it impacts you as a human being. I would say, you know, there's a number of, it's a mix of any tragedy or any any hard thing that we go through on a daily basis, but um, I guess the intensity is is really <laughs> severe right now, and it's just been really discouraging and really heartbreaking. And you know, I, I've said the word soul crushing because 
it hurts. There's like a very real pain and, and fear that a lot of people in this country, you know, have been experiencing for a very long time. And it's, it's just been, it's been tough to, to kind of wake up with the same kind of hope or motivation to get up and believe in others and trust others. And, um, you know, just like walk around feeling like you're going to be okay. And that's already been, you know, this is layered on top of everything, everybody and like the whole, the whole globe has been going through. Right. And this very, prolonged timeline feeling endless and feeling like we just need every kind of little ray of positivity that we can have. Um, it's, it's been really, it's been very hard and it's not lost on me the way that the, that, that emotion or that feeling that experience might be received by others or perceived by others. But yeah, for me personally, it's been, it's been really hard. And I, I've been in this, this conversation about Asian representation, about, race politics and identity for a really long time. So for me personally, I, I've been extra exhausted just because I feel like I personally, my friends around me, my colleagues, my cohort have been talking about this and, and fighting for uh, improvement and progress in my life for more than a decade, you know, and there's people around me that have been working longer and I just recognizing the whole breadth of it and beyond me and my generation, even way, way, but this has been going on for so long. It's just all encompassing, all exhausting. No, I think, I, I think we share your sentiment. You know, I think that any people that are marginalized, you have to stand together. And, and it, and, and I say this a lot of times and I, as, as I've let be known from the show before I'm, I'm from the deep, deep South. And I understand that, certain people don't believe or agree with certain things. The one thing that's never should be in doubt is that every person, every living being deserves to be treated with a monicum of respect. Nobody's coming to take yours. What's yours is yours. You don't have to take away from someone else in order for you to better yourself. And, and I want to say this too, because I, I know I'm going to I'm gonna say, say some things today that I'm, I'm not going to have any kind of filter. I'm just going to be really live and direct, because I think we're going down a really dangerous path. And we, we're we here in Los Angeles. And I was just so disturbed uh, last week to hear that there was a, a woman on a, on a bus in Echo Park. And uh, that's an area uh, in Los Angeles, for those of you who are not from this area. And an African-American woman beat up this woman who is actually Hispanic, but she thought she was Asian. And that really, that took me somewhere really, really dark because there's been examples and times where Black and Asian have butted heads. And in, in this instance, the person wasn't Asian, but the Black person assumed they were. And I just want to say this, like, you expect certain things like that from maybe somebody who's a white supremacist, but to come from a marginalized group to another marginalized group for me, it's, it's, it's like another, it's another level of pain because you should understand what it's like to be treated in such a negative fashion and to, to be judged by the color of your skin or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I, it, that really bothers me. And we're, we're about roughly a little, a few weeks past the, the 30th anniversary of the, the LA riots. And even with that, you know, that the whole riots began out here in Los Angeles because 
um, a little black girl was shot and killed uh, by, uh, uh, I guess, someone who was Asian who owned a, a convenience store. And that whole thing just became this, this big, big issue. And I use these two instances to say, um, and I'm sorry I'm going on a tangent. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, that we really need to come together more because what, what is happening between BT and Minji and I, it, it's not something special. It's something human. I, you just, we just had a conversation and realized the same things are affecting us. Now, when I say us, I don't mean our two communities. I just mean us as individuals. I, I'm not the kind of person that if I drove down a street and I saw a dog got hit by a car, that would affect me. I don't want to see anything or anyone in pain. And to add another level to it is that I'm the one who caused the pain and you're okay with that. So I just, I just, I caution and I ask for people to, to have their heart lead, lead them somewhere. You know, people use that phrase all the time, blame it on my head, not on my heart. I feel like it, we're becoming kind of heartless. And I feel like, especially what happened with the former administration and, and calling things, you know, calling viruses out of their appropriate name, let's just say it that way. We've allowed that type of behavior to put us in such a, a nasty position. And so I just, I just ask, especially to the Black community and to the Asian community, take a moment to just break bread and talk to one another and find out that a lot of these preconceived notions just aren't true. Yeah, no. So, I mean, that, that's good. But you just said something that... To me, it's almost the overarching conversation we need to have about preconceived notions, right? These notions are not ours. They're preconceived somewhere and then we adopt them, right? So to me, it just blows my mind to confetti how we take these notions very lazily and we treat them like they're gold, right? So we talked about, you know, we've had these conversations before where if you really sit down and think about the fact that somebody has the ability to to think through the fact that they're getting into a bus and assaulting somebody or a lady that's walking outside of a hotel in New York and is being assaulted and the security guard that's just looking out and not doing anything about it, or, you know, somebody that's, you know, very loudly saying, um, for lack of a better, let's, I'm not even going to use it. You know, all these derogatory terms that they use to refer to Asians. And so, so first off, like, there's so many levels of laziness to that because Asia is not a country, right? It's not one people. It's not one assumption. So to me, you know, Marcus, going back to what you said, the preconceived notions of what is and what is not, these are things that are passed down historically these are things that come from narratives that other people create. We adopt them. And then you get in a situation where people start really believing that there's a finite amount of things that can, can be done or can't be, you know, can be had or can't be had, right? So one way or another, and they're like, oh, well, let me go off here and assault this person because if I do, then I'm eliminating one person. That could be part of the mix to go after this limited amount of resources, to go after this limited amount of mind space that I have. But it's really the smallest in my mind. It's really the smallest instincts of humanity that lead to these things. And these are conversations that we need to have because 
you know, why it's very important to me to have these conversations around violence, the anti-Asian violence. So it's very important for me to have it because we've had this other narrative in the past that has not really brought up everything that has been done to get it to where it is today. And now all of a sudden we're acting like this is new. That's a platitude. Like this is not what it is. This is cliche. These things have built in. They've been reinforced. They've been legislated. They've been systemized, right? So I don't even know that's a word. I just, <laughs> but systemized, is that a word? Yeah. So, so to me, these are the things that make me feel the way I feel about them. You know, these are the things that make me question. These are the things that make me challenge. And you, you'd hear me go back and try to weave these webs around simple things. You know, I'm like, oh, well, anti-Asian violence, maybe it starts in schools. Maybe it starts here, it starts there. But inadequate curiosity is a bomb. However you look at it, it's ticking. If you're not curious enough, if you're not learning enough, if you're not connecting enough with people and you're not visiting with your emotions enough, sooner or later, Right. And I'm not even saying this as somebody that visits with himself. And I've like, I spend a lot of time trying to visit with myself. I spend a lot of time questioning and like literally seeking out therapists to talk to them about things and to just say, hey, you know, can I think about this different? Why do I feel this way about this? What can I read? What can I find out? Right. But I do all of these so that I'm connected to my emotions, I'm connected to how I feel. Because to me, the worst thing, tying it back to what we're about, you know, we're in this entertainment industry and we do all of this. But the worst thing to me is to have an experience and feel nothing. What a waste. Right. For you to just go out and the only thing you feel is hate. The only thing you feel is resentment. What a waste. You can't laugh. You can't smile. Like you can't wonder, like you can't, there's so many dimensions, you know, of what this is to me that it really makes me, it disturbs me that we've become so facile as a people that one narrative is enough for us to go out and just be blatantly racist and just be blatantly violent and just be blatantly inadequately human. That to me is just mind boggling. And you don't, I'm going to say this one thing and then I'll stop. Minji, Minji, I guess we really need to visit with her. But to me, you don't grow at all if you can't be emotionally sophisticated. If, you, if your emotions cannot grow to a point where you, be, you become sympathetic empathetic, if you can't weave all those things together, especially when it comes to humanity, to me, you might as well be dead because I have no way to visit with you. I have n I'm just not capable you know, of visiting with somebody that's a bigot or that's biased. Uh, well, we all have our biases, but if, if you're not vulnerable enough to say, yeah, that's a bias, I'm going to get better from it, yeah. BT, I appreciate you because I think that the place that a lot of people are at, which is kind of demanding more of each other and of ourselves because of this exhaustion that we have, this exhaustion of pain, honestly, like reading any article or turning on the news or just checking in on social media and being honestly 
there's this word of trauma and traumatize that, that's been used so much in in what in a way I think is a very valid way, but it's been used so much lately that I think it's kind of even lost its meaning because we use it so much. Like, can everything be traumatizing? Kind of, yeah. Right now, it's a highly traumatic time, and we're not. I think, and like as 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 creatures, just as as human beings, we're not set up to take in this much trauma on this much regular basis and then be expected to function in this loving, compassionate, empathetic way. This is my way of trying to reason or empathize with all people of just the kind of things that we're encountering on a regular basis. So I love that we are asking each other to have more space for empathy. That's the thing that I I would love for others to have. But I, and I've also wondered because me being an actor and me doing my best to step into other people's shoes on a regular basis there's a part of me that really gets why it's hard to do that. You know, like everyone is trying so hard to just survive in their own space and to have some level of significance and safety and security and stability. And that's that in and of itself is hard, you know, and really hard for a lot of others. So there's part of me that's, you know, I've been, I've been doing my best to get educated and it's been really, really eye-opening for the last year in particular, even though this conversation has been going on for a really long time in my world. Um, but just getting, getting acquainted with some uncomfortable truths and perspectives that are outside of mine, it's been, it's been really hard to hear, but really important. Like for example, going on clubhouse in the aftermath of like the Atlanta shooting, I was just, just a ball of raw emotion you know it it is terrible because I have experienced that being fetishized and feeling unsafe as a woman my whole life pretty much um and experiencing trauma in my own life being in an abusive relationship um getting out of that kind of just navigating misogyny and sexism in and of itself and then the layer of being an Asian female and knowing very thoroughly what my value or my currency as an Asian woman is like going through that experience and then having the Atlanta shooting happen and trying to understand how to make heads or tails of it and understand what the perspectives are. It was really eye-opening for me. And I heard, I listened to different rooms that were not just support rooms for the Asian American community because that those were there. Um, and I was hearing people vent and let out a lot of pent up pain because the stereotype of Asian Americans and Asians being quiet and suppressing emotions and keeping a lot of things to ourselves. A lot of that is true. There's a lot of truth to that. So there's that, but also hearing what's happening in other communities, specifically the black community of this feeling of why they do or do not feel compelled to, to pull up or, or feel in solidarity. And that was really educational. Like it was painful. And there were a lot of folks that were so supportive. And I was really humbled by that and really grateful. But I, I I learned a lot by listening to people be very honest about why they felt like they shouldn't, or they didn't need to, or they don't feel inspired to at all. Um, it, it was hurting. I was just in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of everything. And I, I feel like I'm kind of in that same place today with the Chauvin verdict and like feeling grateful, like Marcus was mentioning about the outcome, but also feeling incredibly depressed and like, why is it this hard to have some tiny shred of justice? And is this going to make a big change? And it's, I could go on my own set of like 30 tangents from there, but it's just been a time of learning, um, honestly, and, and 
doing my best to be there for myself and for the people that I know directly are hurting. I'm scared to death for my own family. A lot of my elders and relatives live in the Bay Area, which has been a huge hotspot for all of this targeted violence and watching videos day after day of the elderly. Like that's a whole other level of, it's like, you're not even like attacking people who can defend themselves. You know, it is, it has been, like I said, it's been soul crushing and just terrifying for me to like wonder, are my elderly parents going to be okay taking a walk? To me, Minji, like, them going against, you know, going for older people, like, if that doesn't say cowardice, I don't know what else it says. Mm-hmm. So moving from that, Minji, there's another thing that I think comes out, and this is like a very clubhousey and media sexy thing that comes around, around this model minority thing um, of Asians, right? Which... You know, it's a very flippant to me and it's very backhanded to say, oh, you're a model minority. You're still not us. You're still a minority, but you're the model type, right? So come on. Like, what is that? Like, so <laughs> what, what's your feel around that? Well, what I'm getting educated on, and I feel like I've been aware of this model minority myth. And it, to clarify, it's a myth because it is not true. Um, there, there's been this narrative that has been, you know, created and spread widely of this model minority myth. And there's like this whole historical context that I'm learning. I'm actually, I'm so I'm a voiceover artist and I'm actually voicing an educational piece on anti-Asian racism. So in doing my job, I've been getting educated because I have to be the deliverer of this, the messenger. Um, but basically the model minority myth is a narrative that Asian Americans are, you know, are educated, that they're quiet, they're compliant, that they are successful because of that, because of this kind of, assimilation to to being this subservient or submissive minority. And the narrative, you know, the roots of this narrative come after the civil rights movement. And it's it's it was literally created to be a way to diminish and to further oppress black and brown people. And it's literally taking away culpability from white supremacists and white supremacy saying like, look at all of these minorities, like they're so, they're so this and that, like, why can't you be like them? And so in doing so and creating that narrative, I mean, right then and there, there's this wedge created between minorities that they didn't create, someone outside of them did. And that some people within the Asian community have attached themselves to and believed. And it's just, it's all, it's all baloney. I mean, I I could get a lot more colorful with my words, but it's, it's not true. It's just, if people looked at the facts and the truths of, there are 40, what, 47, 48 countries in Asia. Okay. You're talking about billions of people from so many different countries, so many different cultures, so many different languages, and so many different experiences from immigrating, being refugees, you know, being colonized by America, look at the Philippines, I'm still learning about that. You know, you're looking at such a diverse experience, but you're trying to wrap it up in this little bow to say, hey, these are the model minorities, try and be more like them, which is essentially using that narrative to say, stop complaining. If you cannot be better or you can't be like them, then you're not working hard enough. You are, it is, it is a dismissive, lazy, manipulative way, in my opinion, 
I speak on my on my behalf. I think it's it's lazy, it's manipulative, and it's insidious, and it's false to tell any person that has been systematically oppressed through law, through policies since the very beginning, <laughs> to say it's your fault and racism, like all this stuff that you're you're crying about, is all fake. It's fake news. Like, look at them; they're doing great. So it's just become this like in a, in a certain to a certain extent I think kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there's people that really believe that and like if you feel like you're the chosen one and like think of who's choosing though do you know what I mean like there's so many ways that I have kind of had a veil lifted in terms of my own privilege the way that I've been kind of used as a as a metaphorical pawn through my race through who I am um who that's been serving. I mean, I work in Hollywood. You know, I'm with you guys in terms of being part of this industry. There's so many layers to everything, right? Who's the gatekeeper? Who's the one cutting the checks? Who's the one greenlighting the projects? Who's the one saying, hey, to for a friend of mine, Lulu Wong, who made the movie uh, with Aquafina. Um, why is the movie title escaping me? Uh, the Farewell. You know, she had this incredible story about her being a Chinese American woman going through this incredible journey, lying to her grandma about her grandma having cancer and having movie studios tell her to make it more American and to take out the Mandarin. Like her experience as a Chinese American woman is living a dichotomous life of speaking Mandarin and English. And they're telling her essentially to whitewash it so that more people can like be into this movie. I mean, this has happened so many times in so many Asian narratives, right? And her refusing, like, who are those people that are saying this is on un an unacceptable film or no one's going to be interested in it unless you turn a character white, unless you change your narrative, unless you, you know what I mean? Like compromise the integrity of your, your film to, 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 uh, you know, accommodate this person who are we accommodating to so i could i could run my mouth a, a lot longer but i've just it's been a lot of education on why this this narrative has been acceptable to whom for so long and what damage it's caused because it has caused a lot of damage not only to other minorities who've been having that narrative used as an oppressor but also to the people that are like in the model minority people in, in my opinion and my experience as an Asian American person has constantly been an experience of irrelevance. I don't feel like I have existed in America because our narrative and our existence doesn't matter. People have kept it that way for a really long time. They haven't considered our stories worth telling. They turn us into a sidekick, some geeky Kung Fu master or some geisha woman, and that's it. And if we get anything else, we should be on our knees, like super grateful for that. Right. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so ingrained in how we've existed in this country and all the things that I've learned about the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Japanese internment camps, the way that America has not been welcoming to Asian Americans and have villainized us or used us happily without any sort of like accountability or responsibility. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, I, I'm learning a lot and getting pretty, it's, just, it's breaking my brain a little you guys. And I, I don't even know where to start, you know, but it's starting with that. 
I want to say something about your comment about the model minority on, on both on both fronts. Um, I think the model minority is such as as Ben kind of stated earlier. It's, it's I don't even know if I can call it a, a backhanded compliment because it's not really even a compliment because it's really saying that you I you guys are invisible. You made it. You don't need to complain about anything. I saw. I can't think of a Fox News guy who's no longer there no more, who I, I really didn't think very fondly of, Bill O'Reilly. He was like, oh, if, if you know, like, who, who doesn't want to have that? You know, great jobs and being doctors. It's like, you didn't just get to be a doctor. You went to school. You didn't just, you know, fall into those jobs. It's like, even when you get something from your own blood, sweat, and tears, somebody wants to act like they gave it to you. And it's also really arrogant because it's like, we allowed you to have this. You didn't allow anything. I would just like to say this once and for all. White people, America is not just yours. A lot of you are here illegally. If you really look at it, the number of people who are here illegally the most are people from Ireland. Nobody sent here and sent you over here and you got any papers done. And so I would just say to folks, and I realize not all white people feel this way. This is not an attack on white people. This is us saying, stop putting these hateful things out there that hurts the rest of us, that oppresses the rest of us. And then we who are oppressed, we start oppressing each other because we're believing the rhetoric that you're telling us. You would have no railroads if it wasn't for the Asian community. The way that people travel and get here, all of that work was done. And guess what? They didn't do it because they wanted to. They did it because they were forced. And I would also like to say to everyone, especially to the Black and the Asian community, both of our communities have a major color complex. Both of our communities. And so when you see here and say to model minority, which Asians are you saying that to? Because if you're from Cambodia, the Philippines, Thailand, I promise you, they're not the ones that are here that you're depicting that for. So as Ben and as Minji both said, there's what, 47, 48 Asian countries. They're not a monolith. They're not, they're not one people. But if you want to go to that whole one people scenario, the thing that makes race even possible, we're 99.5% the same. No matter what race you are, 99.5% the same. And because of somebody's geographical area, area that they come from, that determines their nose size, their skin complexion, all of these things, you think that's enough to go and kill somebody and beat someone up? It's just ridiculous. But that's my tangent on that. I'm going to jump to something else, and BT, you can jump in on this. Minji also jumped into something that will bring it back to uh, film. When you talked about the ridiculous depiction of Asian characters in films, whether it be the, the geek or the geisha, it seems like the number one role Asians get to play a movie is, oh, you're the Asian, which is yet another thing that I say. It's like, we, we, I don't know if there's a race of people. Matter of fact, I know there's not a race of people in America that is depicted more invisibly than the Asian community. And I think we will all agree to that. So my thing is, you know, you look at these roles, when I grew up, I'll be very honest, the first Asian um, you know, artist I ever saw in a film was Bruce Lee. And I thought Bruce Lee, I didn't care if he was black, white, Puerto Rican, or Haitian. I just thought that dude was cool. 
I was some skinny little black kid and this guy didn't have no body fat and he was whipping tail. I said, there's hope for me yet. <laughs> there is hope. I, I, I can do that. You know, it's like all these little kids who like, I can't dunk, but I can shoot a ball like Steph Curry. Bruce Lee was my Steph Curry. I was like, hey, I'm a little skinny, scrawny kid. If that guy can do it, I can do it. But it's kind of sad that you look at we're in the year 2021. And if you ask most people around the world, name the two or three most famous Asian actors of all time, I will venture to say 80 to 90% of them would say Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee. That, that's my, I could be wrong. This, this is nothing factual, but that would be my thought process. So what that shows is there's not been enough representation because those stars, though big, they're not recent. I mean, Jackie Chan is great and he still does some stuff, but he's not like making movies every year anymore. And that just goes to speak to the lack of representation and the, and the lack of, you know, different types of characters you're allowed to play that can stand out. And with you being an actor, I, I, I'm curious, you know, because you get to see it firsthand, you know, what are the effects of that? Because... You know, I mean, I don't know if there's a people who are more depicted more negatively, more consistently uh, than the Asian um, community in film. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been acting for, what, nine years? And I still, to this day, you know, I, I have not hit it big or anything like that. And to be honest, it, because of COVID, I actually dropped the agents and I, I wanted to focus on writing. But to kind of get up to speed with that, the the number of roles that I saw available to me, at least at the very beginning, which, you know, I started getting into the casting system, right, in 2012, it was, it was sad, you know, like I've read, and don't get me wrong, I, I am really a lover of artists, and I know that everybody has a beginning, and I know that, you know, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be Kugler and Spielberg right out the gate. You got to, <laughs> you got to like write your first short or whatever. So there's always been like that grace margin where you're like, okay, maybe these are just all the student films or these are all the short films and like the independence and whatever. But still like in general, I was really curious, like if I made my casting profile, a white girl or a white guy or anybody else, that's not an Asian female, what kind of roles would I get? Because I was getting a lot of these, in my opinion, me the critic here, very poorly written, very non-dimensional characters. And as a female too, where they, they wouldn't even ask for specific um, ethnicity. It's a lot of like nudity required. There's just a lot of things that made my, my stomach turn because I was like, this cannot be it. This cannot be the extent of it, which educated me a lot on, again, who who are kind of the gatekeepers and who are the, who are the ones that wield a lot of power. And in my opinion, what I learned through being an actor is that there's a lot of power in being the writer. The writer is the person that creates the world. They're the ones that choose the protagonist. They're the ones who say, this is the person whose shoes we're going to walk in for the entirety of this, this story. Right. And, you know, and that, that's why I've been in this space for 12 years, like working for Asian American representation in media, because at every different level, right, it's not just the writer, not just the actor, because, you know, we can all we can all troll Scarlett Johansson so much. But I there's a part of me that's like, Scarlett, you know, you could have turned that role down, but you're also an actor. And it's like a lot of people said yes to all those decisions before you got cast in that in that role as an as a Asian character, which people will argue saying that that character, Ghost in a Shell, was not an Asian character. But I digress. You know, like to understand how this machine works and how, who makes those decisions? I've been questioning that since I ever entered this space. 
And I don't know. It's there's laziness on on there's like just it's laziness or just being risk averse and trying to be formulaic about art, which, you know, in general, this is where we could get into just like art and industry where it kind of bothers me because we're commodifying something that's supposed to be artistic. Um, but I understand because it's an industry and you want to you want to be able to recoup your investment and all that stuff. But it's just it fascinates me. But what by what people think is like popular, what people think will be a good story and what kind of characters are going to be suited to play that? In general, my experience has been really poorly constructed characters, really trite, like basic, objectified, like not, I just want to use the word dimensional, right? Like they're not a fully 3D person. And you just want me to be there to be either, I mean, my casting, I'm a pretty opinionated person. So it's just like, oh, you just need an angry Asian girl who has no humanity. She just yells at people. Because <laughs> that's, is that, and then I wonder about the, who wrote this. And I was like, is that what you think of me? Or is that what you think of Asian females? Because the only Asian character you have in this entire script is this girl who's like, just walking around screaming at people. Um, and maybe so. Like, so I've learned a lot through reading these scripts and kind of getting a little peek into different people's minds, including Asian American filmmakers, because I've been very involved in that independent film universe too. So I, I'll touch on something that you said, Minji, and this is the business side of it. So the one thing, there's something you talked about recouping your investment. And I think that a necessary part of recouping your investment is that an investment inherently involves risks. And to, to take risks, right, you can't commoditize things because if it's a commodity, then it's not art. It's not being creative, right? It's not entertaining because otherwise we'll just go to a store, buy an apple and look at it and laugh, right? That's a commodity. So that part of it, let's debunk that. So I, I tie that to laziness and I'll tie it to the formulaic side of what you said, which is we've done this in the past. We've acquired a customer base. It always works. It always works. So if we spend $10, we're going to get maybe 20 push comes to shove. We get 18, but that's eight more than we spent. And, and those are the things, right? Th those are the things that came in front. If, if we step back, which we should, and I think it's really the premise of why we have this podcast, this platform is really around visiting with people and visiting with the fullness and the wholeness of who people are, which is where they're from, which is everything that's culture. If you think about where a lot of money in film, especially theatrical, comes from today, right? China has become a beast, right? You open it up to Japan and Asia is really becoming the new frontier, right? And it's really becoming, you know, the place, the, the destination where these big, you know, highbrow pictures have to open so they can make two, 300 in the beginning. So the part of being able to make money from it, we can debunk that as well. Because I'm sure that when you go to China or you go to Japan or you go to any other Asian country, they're not just so eager to not see themselves in the picture. So we can debunk that and say, you make money from there, you can do better. But the deeper part of it to me, which is really what Culture Score is about and really what I think is humanity and people, is that Asians are not monolithic. We agree on that. If you sit on that for a little bit and double click and you visit, 
there is so much color. There is so much depth. There is so much variance. There are so many different kinds of stories, right? There's so much history. There's so much art. There's, there's just so much that you can do that if you go shoot Black Panther in South Korea, for example, you can do more. If you go shoot it in China, you can do more. If you shoot it in Thailand, you can do more. You can get, you know, from wardrobe design to locations to culture. I mean, there's just so much that you can do that going in there and shooting it and taking your tax credits and pulling out and saying that it was shot in China is not enough, right? So to me, when you think about it structurally, like, I just talked about it and say, okay, this is a business we're trying to do. And, you know, all the studios are now committed to some level publicly of being equitable and inclusive, right? If you think about it that way and you say, I can't ask the writers, writers to me are the magicians of this industry. Like if you, you meet a good writer and the writer's story in two hours and give it to you and you're like, all of that came from your head. They can do more, that they can really do more if you give them the bandwidth, if you give them the support, if you give them, like, if you just tell them, like, I really want you to drill into these stories. We're not in a place anymore in the industry where you don't have demonstrated evidence that different stories can sell as long as you sell them. But we're in a place where you can have 12 years a slave in the U.S. would have cover art with a black actor and you go to Europe and it's still Brad Pitt. We're still in that place where people, the decision makers and the marketers and all, they still have these notions in the back of their minds that these are the things we need to do to sell. And with, you know, with those notions, somebody somewhere, and maybe this is us doing it, has to press them and say, no, if it's Marcus on the cover, if it's Marcus is your lead, Marcus is your lead. This is how you're going to sell it. Figure it out. The marketers, they'll do it. If Minji's your you, lead, but you know what, BT, Minji's your lead. I, but you know what, BT, I like, if you look at it, it it's, it's not just lazy. It's deliberate. You can't use that story no more. Crazy Rich Asians was one of the biggest movies in the world. Black Panther was one of the biggest movies in the world. We've, if you look at it, people say, Grace Anatomy is still on. It's still on because they have one of the most diverse cast ever on television and people care about representation and the writing is not done in a disrespectful manner. Christina Yang is smart, intelligent, but she gets to have layers just like Meredith Grey or the Chief Weber or whomever. The reason why people see the Fast and the Furious, yeah, they love cars and they love all the action, but the reason why it does so well internationally it's because everybody is represented. There's Hispanic, there's Asian, there's black, there's white, there's gay. And guess what? Everybody's cool. Everybody's cool. There's not just like black gangsters and ghetto Mexicans and dragon mom Asians, like they, these stereotypes that we just consistently get thrown at them. Everybody gets to be cool. Everybody gets to have layers. And if you're some kid in Brazil or you're some kid in Hong Kong or you're some kid in Miami, you're like, I look like that person. I could do this. It's, it's just basic economic sense. But we have chosen to put in prejudicial thought processes that say people of color cannot sell tickets when we have ample proof 
that that simply is not true. And we know it and we've seen it, you know, and that's, you know, and, you know, I would love for us to keep going. I just want to say something too. you know, this whole thing is about being seen, being understood and having some compassion. It, to me, this is what this whole episode is about. And, and I think you have two super intelligent people on this, on this podcast and one who pontificates a little bit. I'm talking about myself. Um, oh. You know, we, we're, 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 got even. One and a, we got one and a half, one and a half on one preacher. <laughs> you know, we're we're fairly bright people here, and you know, I I just feel like if you just take a minute, all jokes aside, if you can just take a minute and and just get away from preconceived notions and just understand that we all have a plight, we all have, uh, we've all been through something, and. You know, seriously, you know, MLK said it best, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If I see, if I see someone hurting, like, why do you think they're not going to come after me next? Why would you think that? Like, because if they come after me, they're going to come after you eventually. That's the way it works. So we got to stand together. We got to make some changes. I think the past four years has emblazoned and emboldened people to just be heinous and mean for no reason whatsoever. And whether it's through gun violence or it's just through racist, you know, overly sometimes aggressive cops, whatever the case may be, we need to step back and look at ourselves and say, is this who we want to be? But please, America, please, please stop asking, oh my God, is this who we really are? Yes, America. Yes. This is who we are. Can we just say yes to? Yes. <laughs> it didn't stop with Jim Crow. It didn't stop with, uh, you know, after, it didn't just stop after the Holocaust cost was over. It is, it has been going on since the beginning of time and it's continuing to go. And so I just say, because we're going to have to shut this down momentarily, but I just want to say, do better, be better. Because if you don't, there's going to be none of us left. They just won't be. I got a couple questions from Minji, and then we can go from there. So the one question is, Minji, where do we go from here? And then two, resource. Just I want you to point to one or two resources because I get tired of people saying, how can I help? Like, where do, what, what? Like, so just where do we go from here and resources? If somebody wants to say, I want to support, I want to be an ally, resources and then we can we can close down after that thank you um two resources one i think that has been really helpful for a lot of folks um for the asian american community and for non-asian is uh stop aapihate.org and there's also asian americans advancing justice.org so asian Amer asian americans advancing justice they were really instrumental in the atlanta shooting and they've been do like way beyond this too. Like they were, they were on the ground. You know, I think I shared a story with you when we first got to know each other. I was sharing a story about friends of mine in Georgia. I was actually there in Atlanta when Stacey Abrams was running for governor. And that was a sight to see because this tiny little Vietnamese girl who grew up on a chicken farm in like rural Georgia, like way south, like almost in Florida, she was bothering everybody in this tea room. Like we were at a boba shop working and she was just on her clipboard telling everybody to register to vote. So there, there are organizations like that out there. Um, if I can provide any insight, you know, 
organizations like Asian Americans Advancing Justice, they they do the work on the ground, talking with actual human beings, understanding what the issues are, creating spaces for people to talk. So that website has been really helpful in terms of giving resources on the history of all of this. I mean, just getting educated, reading anything has been, for me, you know, um, really, really helpful. And they have a wealth of, you know, they're tree. They'll, they'll take you to wherever you need to go and giving bystander information, um, ways to report hate crimes and ways to be an ally. I'm continuing to learn. Another resource uh, I'd also love to plug is the PBS documentary called Asian Americans. And it's I think it's a five part series, a docuseries, really well done. But it's trying to cram in, you know, hundreds of <laughs> years of history into something digestible. But in that, it'll go through a lot of the things like the Chinese Exclusion Act and Japanese internment and the things that have been very, very conveniently glossed over in the U.S. history. And I, I also just want to say, like, everybody in the Asian, not everybody, that is that is a false statement. A lot of people within the Asian American community are working hard to be better on all fronts as well. Because I'll say it from the, the personal conversations I've had, there are a lot of folks that are in a lot of pain. And there's a lot of really good conversations, very uncomfortable ones that are happening in real time right now, in terms of how people have shown up for other communities, especially the black community, how people have um, been exercising privilege and never acknowledging it. Um, and these are conversations I've been having myself. People are talking with their parents. It's getting all kinds of messy, but I think in a good way. So I just want to lend that as like, I know that there are, there can be limited access and li limited visibility into other people's worlds. That's that's all of us, right? We only have so many hours in a day and so many, you know, access points to see what's going on in that person's life and their community. I know that we can do better in all fronts, and there are there are those in the community that are doing better, and there's a lot of us loudmouths that are demanding more, <laughs> because the consequences. What I think BT and Marcus, what you guys are referring to, is that it's not, we're not standing on neutral ground. Like if we stand and do nothing to, you know, the whole concept of, oh, I'm not racist. I'm like, that's cute. You're not racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. You need to be on the side of like doing work internally, externally, showing up in your way to reverse what has been going horrifically wrong for a very long time. You know, and I think that there's kind of this boldness that we have in light of all of this pain and these little glimmers of hope to be better. You know, we can ask each other a bolder question and have a conversation that maybe a month ago, a year ago, we couldn't have had because we didn't feel the urgency. I feel like we're just in a completely different universe right now. And there's no going back. So since we're all here, let's I really encourage everybody, you know, I, I want to do my best to to reach outside of my own people that look like me. Exactly what Marcus was saying. We have a lot of humanizing of one another to do. And um, that can just start with a simple conversation, right? Like it doesn't have to be something super magnanimous. It's like really just talking to somebody and kind of putting aside the bias for a hot second just to entertain the idea that that person might be as interesting, as kind, as thoughtful and three-dimensional as you might be. I mean, we're all juggling a lot. There's a lot on our mental, emotional plates, but I, that's, that's my, what I, I ask of all of us to do, myself included. But I think those things can make a big difference in the long run. Minji, um, 
thanks again. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to follow Minji, you should follow Minji um, on social media. She's at Minjeezy, M-I-N-J-E-E-Z-Y. Um, I'll say that again, Minji at M-I-N-J-E-E-Z-Y. You should follow her. She posts amazing pictures, amazing content. This is not work that she does part-time, so you're going to le- learn something. Her website is uh, Minji Chang, M-I-N-J-I-C-H-A-N-G.com. And you know, if you want to follow us, we'd love to hear from you. We love feedback. Um, you know, Listen to us on any of your podcast listening destinations, you know, follow us, download, you know, talk to us, give us feedback. We'll appreciate his reviews, but on social media, you can follow us at speak.studio. So S-P-E-A-K-D-O-T. So you spell the dot D-O-T S-T-U-D-I-O. So again, it's speak dot, which is a D-O-T studio. And, you know, again, uh, listen, questions, grow, um, be better. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, this is Culture Score. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thank you.